welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram at Exchange Houston. The following message is from our lead pastor, Jared Brooks. We're continuing a, our message. Last week we took a break from the Blessed Life and Pastor Todd Turnbull was here with us. If you haven't had a chance, I think the podcast was just uploaded this week. If you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to uh, that message that Pastor Todd gave last week. Just talk about a timely message, right on point. And uh, maybe it was for no one in this church but me. And uh, I got it and I received it last week. So listen to that. This is part four of The Blessed Life, and I'm excited. The Blessed Life, this is a book based on, uh, or it's a message based on the book uh, by Robert Morris. Powerful, powerful uh, uh, word uh, on giving and, and what the blessed life means. And so we're in part four of that, and I'm excited to be a part of a church with, with families and individuals that know how to tithe. Amen? That was almost all of us. I'm excited to be a part of a church with families that know how to give to the Lord. Amen? I'm excited that there are new people who are just coming into the church that are starting to catch what it is to give to the kingdom of God because there's no greater way to give than unto the Lord. Amen? So today we're on part four of The Blessed Life, and the title of my message is a question, and it's a question for you. And I've answered this question this week, and it wasn't all good. But the question is this, am I generous? Okay, it's a question that you and I have to ask. And and if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I am. And sometimes I'm not. And that's just the truth, amen? You know, sometimes we are great at generosity, but sometimes we're not. So if you would stand with me this morning, we're going to get into the reading of the word. If you are taking notes, please do that. I I challenge everybody to take notes. Um, In my notes on my phone, I just have messages. It's just tons of messages of pastors that have preached three years ago. And I can go back and I can pull out a message and it just has a word for that day that was preached three years ago. Uh, to me. So if you, if you can take notes, if you have your Bible, follow along. If not, you can follow along on the Sky Bible up here. John chapter 12, it says this, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served him, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now, if you read John chapter 11, John chapter 11 is where Lazarus dies and is risen from, and and Jesus brings him back. John chapter 12 is where Lazarus is now sitting at the table with Jesus. But what you need to understand, and there's two months that have passed, okay? So from the time that he died and was brought back to the time that now he's sitting with Jesus, two months have now gone by. Then, verse number three, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of specknard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrance not sold for 300 denarii? This is a a whole year's worth of wages. 
and given to the poor. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. We'll talk about that later. And he used to take what was put in it. Verse number seven. But Jesus said, let her alone. Every time I read that the way it says in New, New King James, I have to say it with an accent. Let her alone. I don't know why, but when I read this in my office by myself, I say, let her alone. And then I want to say, hello, my name is Anigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Don't tell me that's not spiritual, okay? He says, let her alone. She has kept this for dead. Now you'll never be able to read it without saying that. I've just messed you all up. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you continue to show us revelation of what the blessed life truly is, God. That we will uh, uh, be a church who, who not only lives the blessed life, but... but spreads that life everywhere we go that people understand that there's nothing better than the kingdom of God Lord so we we give completely our hearts to you this morning and our our minds to you this morning ask you to help us focus on the word that you're you're giving to us right now in Jesus name we pray and everyone said amen amen Amen. you may be seated this morning now when you read this there's two questions that kind of come to mind okay The first question is, why did Mary give such an extravagant gift to Jesus? Okay? You ever wondered that? You ever thought about that? Why was this what she had to do? And the second question is, why did it bother Judas so much that she gave this gift? It wasn't his gift. It was her gift. And so why did it bother him so much? And and it tells us answer in this story. So we're going to talk about it in a little bit. But what you can tell by this this passage that we're reading is there's two hearts on display right now. There's a selfish heart and there's a heart of generosity. And so we're going we're gonna to share that this morning. So if you're taking notes, point number one is the enemy of generosity. Okay? The enemy of generosity, it's not a person, even though it's displayed through Judas in this particular story. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. And every one of us have to deal with selfishness. Say a big amen. Amen. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're selfish. Now, don't start anything, and if, and if I help start anything, I'm sorry. But we are selfish by nature, right? I mean, that's not, I mean, if you don't remember it, remember, look back to when you had kids, okay, when they were little. They're born selfish, okay? When your kids were little, how many of you remember this word? Mine, okay? Last night, we were watching, we were at uh, my brother-in-law's birthday party, and I was watching the kids in the backyard, and one of their little cousins, he's little bitty, his name's Emmett, and he's running around, he's saying, mine, 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 he's got the ball, mine, mine, everything was mine, and I was thinking about this message, because that's what we hear a lot, is mine, mine, and we hear it, we'll be across the house, minding our own business, and you hear from like, it seems like a block away, mine, 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 and there's only so much you can take, and then you have to go in as a parent, and you have to go, enough, no more, no more, right? You have to shut it up, because there's only so much we can handle. Mine, mine, and then you start telling the other kid, just give it to him, okay? Just give it to him. Just give it, no, it's mine. 
just give it to him. But dad, it has my name on it. Just give it to him. We all have to, we all have to make sacrifices. Your mom has all my money, okay? <laughs> just give it to him, okay? It's mine, mine. But, but we have that. We're born with that mine, mine, mine. And that's what's happening here. And, but we have to learn that, that God's hope for us is that we all grow out of that mine, mine, mine. But a lot of us don't, especially when it comes to money, and especially when it comes to giving money in the church. And a hush fell over the crowd. Okay? See, God says in the Word that the first 10% is mine. You know why he said that? So that it's not confusing and we would believe that it's actually ours. So God says the first 10% is mine. It's his because it doesn't belong to you, okay? So there's two choices that the Bible really gives when it, when it talks about the first 10%. It says you can either give it or you can steal it. It's the only two options that the Bible really gives us when it comes to the tithe because Jesus, God's saying the tithe, the first 10%, God says, is mine. It belongs to me. So I want you to notice Judas what he says here in this passage, if you think about it, it, why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? I don't understand why this extravagant gift is wasted, right? Why wasn't it sold and given to the poor? That sounds like a noble thought, right? But then John goes on and he tells us, actually, he didn't say it because he cared about the poor. He could care less about the poor. He said it because he's a thief. Wow, that's strong, isn't it? He said it because he's a thief. When Judah says it, what he's doing is he's trying to take the attention off of him, point to this extravagant gift because that's what selfishness does. Let me tell you, extravagance to a lot of people is to hate anyone who has more than I have. That's what extravagance becomes. But if it's your income that goes up, it's no longer extravagance, right? Right? It's only extravagance when it's about someone else. So we have to stop pointing the people at others, uh, extravagance, trying to cover up, cover up our own selfishness because that's the heart of Judas. Selfishness always looks after self by pointing at someone else. Tweet that. Here's something else that I want you to catch. He has the money box, Okay? He has the money box, and he used to take what was in it. So this is an offering box, and it's talking about he's taking money out of the offering box so people would give offerings to, to Jesus and the disciples, and Judas would take money out of the offering box. I don't know anybody who will go back there to our black boxes and take money out of the offering boxes, right? Because the offering belongs to God. And the Bible says that because Judas did that, he was a thief. And then in Malachi, it says, why do you? I don't know anybody who would take money out of the offering boxes. But yet, when we don't give what God says is mine, the Bible says that we are, I know it's a tough word. We don't even want to say it. Because it starts to affect us when it starts to hit home. We're robbing God's what the Bible says. We, we talk about these things because to rob God is a serious accusation, you know? 
Nobody wants to think that. None of us actually want to do that. But actions speak louder than words. We, what we do is we go around and, it, and we hope that nobody sees and nobody notices. But God always notices. God always sees. But when we learn to give, when we learn to give with the right heart, and we talked about, I believe it was in week one of this message, uh, that it's a heart thing. It's an attitude of the heart. When we give with the right heart, we understand that there is a blessing. Come on, somebody. See, I, I stepped on a couple toes there for a second. But there is a blessing when we give with the right heart. When we give with the right attitude. And our prayer for the exchange church is that we all live under a blessing. That we don't live under a curse. That we don't live under, under this, this guise of, of that we would rob God. Who was it anyway that gave Judas the money box? Have you ever thought about that? Who gave Judas the money box? It was the leader of that group. Who was the leader of that group? What? You mean to tell me Jesus gave Judas the money box. Don't you know that Jesus knew that Judas was a thief before he gave Judas the money box? So you're telling me Jesus gave Judas the money box and he knew he was going to fail. The Bible says, one year before this, Jesus says, did I not choose 12 of you and one of you is a devil? Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. So why did Jesus do that? Because God always gives you an opportunity to grow in the areas of your weakness. Okay? God always gives you a chance to grow in the areas that you don't feel like you ever, ever going to accomplish. You're ever going to make it out of. He didn't give him the money box so that he could fail. He gave him the money box so that he could pass. Okay, that was the whole mission. And you can't say, well, then why would Jesus tempt Judas with the money? No, 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 no. The Bible says, no, God does not tempt anyone. Amen? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. Everybody say, God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, God may allow you to be tempted, but he knows your limit. And while you're being tempted, he always gives you an exit strategy if you'll take it. That's a good word, Pastor Jared. Every time Judas was tempted, it was never beyond his control. He was always tempted, but God always gave him a way out. This was God's opportunity to allow Judas to change his life. Selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Point number two, the extravagance of generosity. Now, okay, I was making sure. I had misspelled it earlier when I sent my notes to TJ. I caught it this morning, so I was making sure. I didn't want everybody to think I didn't know how to spell extravagance or whatever I put this morning. <laughs> this, three, this 300 denarii is a year's worth of wages. Okay, The word denarii uh, is the plural form of the word denarius. And denarius is actually one full day's worth of wages. So think about this. No matter who you are, think about this. No matter who you are, don't you think that a year's worth of wages 
is an extravagant gift to give to the church. You want to get Pastor Jared shouting. (laughs) I dare you. I dare somebody this morning to put a year's worth of wages in this offering box and see if I won't get jiggy with it. Okay? Because I will get so crunk up in this place. You won't even know what to do. But don't you think that's extravagant gift? Now, I ask this. Do you think that a one year's worth of salary, don't you think that would impress God? Or have you ever thought, how much would it take to impress God? Now, before you answer that, let me remind you that we're talking about God who lives in a city where the streets are built and they're paved with gold. So in other words, the stuff down here on earth that we go crazy about, gold, it's asphalt to Jesus. It's asphalt to God. Okay, He don't even care about it. So the foundation of the walls are 1,380 miles wide, 1,380 miles long, and they're diamonds, rubies, and precious stones. Again, he ain't doing it to show off. It's just all over the place. It's just what he has. And the gates are 13 miles high and are made of pearls. So let me ask you again. Since God owns everything and that's what his house looks like, do you think that you can give any amount of money and it impresses God? No, God is not impressed with the amount of money we give. Okay, you're not going to bless his socks off and shock him. Wow, he gave me $900? Wow, you gave me $25,000? God, you know, he's not impressed with an amount. It doesn't shock him and it doesn't bless him. But you know what does impress God? That you can give? 2 Corinthians 8, 5 says that they first gave themselves to the Lord And according to the Bible, when we give ourselves to the Lord, He jumps and He rejoices. Okay, He rejoices over you. That's what the Bible says. And the word that it uses there, rejoice, means to twirl about, to dance and twirl about. So when you give Him your heart, that impresses Him. Mm -mm. There are three levels of giving that the Bible talks about. The first level is tithe. The second level is offerings. The third level is extravagant giving. We like extravagant receiving. Amen? Y'all lying? Those of you that didn't say amen, you're lying. Because you know you like extravagant receiving. There is a lot of extravagant giving in the Bible. King David. King David gave, according to today's currency, this will blow your mind, $21 billion to the temple. Even for a king, that ain't too shabby. Right? And then there's a widow lady who comes down and she gives two mites. She gives a penny. And Jesus says, she has given far beyond everybody else. Solomon offered over a thousand sacrifices. So there are three levels, tithes, offerings, and extravagant giving. But according to statistics, most Christians never get to the first level of tithing. Tithing is your gross income. It's not your net. It's your first fruits. Your first fruits offering. That's what tithing is. And it's undesignated and it's to go to the church where you're attending. That's what tithes is all about. The reason it's undesignated is because a lot of people like to control with their money. Okay? I will give you my money, 
but I want it to go where I want it to go. When it comes to the kingdom of God, it ain't your money in the first place. It's his money. <laughs> you know, I wrote down in my notes, there would not be a lot of amens right there. <laughs> but it's the truth, amen? And, that's, and, and, and our mission, our goal in life is to live the blessed life. And the blessed life is this. It's learning to honor God with what he trusted of us. To be good stewards of what God has trusted with us. The latest statistic says this. This shocked me a little bit. It says that the people that actually give 10% of their income to the local church is around 5 to 7%. Of Christian population. That means 93 to 95% of Christians never get to the first level. If you ever get to the first level, you'll immediately go to the second and the third level because the curse is broken, the blessing is unleashed upon you, and you're so uh, showered. The Bible says He's gonna throw up, throw open the windows of heaven. Now, He's not gonna throw up over you, He's gonna throw. <laughs> Open the windows of heaven. Number three. Number three. The reward of generosity. This passage we're about to read, uh, it's also in John 12. It's in Matthew 26. And we're going to read out of Mark chapter number 14. So if you go back and you start in verse 3, you'll see the story. But we're going to pick up uh, at verse number 9. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever. Everybody say wherever. Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. She got rewarded, right? So I asked you a question earlier in the message. I said, why does it bother Judas so much? Because he was a thief. He was a thief. He wasn't a tither. He took money out of the offering boxes. And anytime somebody gives extravagant gifts, it always bothers non-tithers. I said, there will be some, mm-hmm, and that's it. <laughs> right? but the, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? When this extravagant gift, it bothers people. And the reason it bothers people is because we don't understand that it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. Two months early, and then I asked the question. I said, why did Mary give such an extravagant, extravagant gift? Two months earlier, she watched her brother die. Her brother dies. Jesus shows up. It's too late. She is broken. She has hit rock bottom. She's lost everything. She watches her brother Raised from the dead. Let me tell you something. When you see a family member raised from the dead, it will change your viewpoint on worldly possessions. Can I get amen? amen? But Jesus said, when I found you, you were dead in sin and trespasses. I brought you alive again. So we've all been raised from the dead. So shouldn't it all change our viewpoint of worldly possessions? That it's not just about that she had a brother that was raised from the dead. But it's a fact that you were dead in sin. You were lost. You were gone. You had no hope. And Jesus says, when I found you, I brought you back to life. And when he says that, shouldn't that change the way that we view worldly possessions? 
that it's, it's no longer about money and it's not about amounts, but it's about the fact that there's a God who loved me so much that he gave first his first fruits. And if he can do it, I'm going to give my first fruits. I'm going to give my best. Extravagant giving. So she gives this gift and she's rewarded generosity. Jesus says, wherever this gospel's preached, from now on, I want this to be talked about. It's exactly what I'm doing this morning. We're talking about this woman. We're talking about this woman because she was an example of extravagant giving. She was an example of, uh, of the heart of generosity. What it means to just give because she was so thankful. It wasn't about an amount. What Jesus did was she was preparing his body for burial. This oil that she had saved up, she was preparing for Jesus' burial. This is the only anointing that, that Jesus received going into his burial. They usually would anoint the body, but Jesus dies, and went right before he dies, it's, this, it's right before the Sabbath, so they didn't have time to get it done, so they wrap him up, they put him in the tomb, and he's not anointed. So then they go, and the Bible says they brought back a hundred pounds of spices. They take it to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. They look in the tomb. Jesus ain't there. So the only anointing that Jesus got going into the tomb was the sacrifice, the gift that this woman gave. She had no clue what she was doing. She had no clue where this sacrifice was going to go, where it was going to take her. Sometimes when we give, we have no idea that the offering that we give, that the gifts that we give into the kingdom of God, they don't just go to pay electric bills, but they go because there's somebody on the other side of the world that is needing to hear the gospel for the first time. And that's what our giving does, is it releases the kingdom of God to go into all the world and make disciples and preach the gospel. That's what our giving does. Us. It unleashes the generosity in you. It unleashes the generosity in me. She had no clue what was about to happen. God says, I am a rewarder. Hebrews says that he is a, a rewarder. Okay, That word rewarder, it's the only time in the Bible in Hebrews that it's actually used. And it's a culmination of two Greek words. The first one means to pay what is due. The second Greek word, it's only used a couple times in the Bible, and it means to give over and above what is due extravagantly. I love that word, extravagantly. So God will not only give you what is normal for your tithing, but he gives over and above what is due extravagantly. That's how God blesses, extravagantly. Extravagant blessing. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. When you give with the right heart, when you give with the right attitude, God is a rewarder. Isn't that awesome? He's a rewarder. Y'all know people that you like to hang around because they like to give stuff? Don't act like that. Y'all don't like that. There's some people that if they're going out to eat, you're like, man, yeah, oh, you're going out to eat? That's awesome. I'm not doing anything right now. I'm just... I'm just hanging out. My wife's gone. And they say, you want to go? Of course I do. You know they're going to buy. Right? Or you go out to eat and you see the Del Mar on the menu. It's like $29. And you're like, oh, I don't know. But you're with that one person. You know they're going to buy. And so you order the Del Mar. They're rewarders. 
We know him, but the Bible says that God is a rewarder. He likes to give not what is owed, not what is due, but over and above extravagantly. Extravagantly. He is a rewarder. Isn't that a powerful, powerful word? So I'm going to ask you this morning, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Okay, so the, the, the mission, the hope, the prayer for the exchange church is that we all understand what it means to live the blessed life, the whole blessed life, and the blessed life is a good life. As I've been reading this book again, it just stirs me up. It stirs me up, not my giving just inside the church. It stirs my, my blessing to be a blessing outside the church. It reminds me of what I am called to be as a child of God, as a joint heir of Jesus, to live the blessed life. So at the beginning, I asked this question, the title of my message, are you generous? I'm not talking about, do you, do you invite your neighbors over occasionally? I'm not talking about when it's a birthday party, do you always take a gift or a card? I'm just talking about, are you generous in the eyes of God, in the kingdom of God, when it comes to the things that he's asked us to do? I gave the example last week of the people, of the guys who, or maybe I didn't, maybe I just was talking about it to somebody, but they were trusted, these talents. One was given 10, one was given five. And, and they multiply these talents and they give them because they're givers. And God blesses those who, who give and who multiply. And then the one who says, well, here's, here's what's yours. This is what I gave you. The blessing came on top of that. And I'm, what I'm doing is I'm giving you a little bit of my next week's message. So I'm going to back up a little bit. So the question is really, am I a generous giver? Am I a generous person in the kingdom of God? Am I generous in my relationship with God? Let me tell you something. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe that he can save everyone from their sin and you believe that salvation is what will get you into eternal life, then why aren't you generous with that? Why is this church not jam-packed every week? Because if we believe that, wouldn't we share that? I mean, that's the best gift ever. So the question is, am I generous? And so think about that for a second. I asked myself this week, and I I wrote down several categories which I thought I was probably considered generous. There are some areas I think I'm a generous person. And then there are some categories I wrote down that I realized, you know what? I'm really not that generous. I'm not generous on the road at all. I'm I'm just being real. That wasn't a time for jokes. I didn't write anything about laughing there, but... But that's an area I wrote down. I'm not a generous person on the road. And if I'm going to live the blessed life, I've got to learn to be generous everywhere. Everywhere. So close your eyes for just a moment. Ask yourself that question. Am I generous? Because we've talked about the, the attitude, the heart thing. We talked about breaking the spirit of mammon. But are we generous? Is our story something that's going to be told 
because of who we are and how we give. Because how we love, how we honor. When, when we see people hurting, does it affect us? Does our generosity kick in and we have to figure out how, how do we meet a need? How do we make it happen? What's the Holy Spirit asking of us? What's the Holy Spirit saying to us this morning? Father, I pray right now, God, that in everything that we do, that we'll be men and women of generosity. God, that we'll be generous with what you've given us. And I'm not talking just monetarily. But God, I'm talking about the, the eternal life that you've given us, that we know about, that we can openly share. God, we're talking about every area of our life with our kids, with our, our spouses, God, with our friends at school, with people at work, God. Am I generous? Am I generous with what you trusted me with, God? With what you said is yours in the first place. God, I pray as we examine ourselves this morning, Lord, that, that we'll understand where we are. We'll understand where you've called us to be, God. And that will be men and women of faith who will step out and say, this is what God's called me to do. I don't understand it. I don't see how it's possible. But God, I'm going to be generous to you. I'm going to be generous to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, I have a... Uh, I have a, a vision that God's given me to reach people in this community, in this area. And, and in this vision, we are to be a church of great impact, okay? When I say great impact, that people will know, people will recognize that, that the Spirit of God is here and that He is available to them. That everything we do at, at sporting events, any place we go, that, that we just make an impact as a church. But until, until we take care of, we can never take care of. Until we take care of our house and, and we get things in line and in order. That's why I shared the story a couple weeks ago of Elijah when he comes to the woman and she says, well, this is all I have. And he says, well, then go make me a cake. She says, you don't understand. I'm about to die. I'm about to make a meal for me and my, my son. And then we're going to eat it and die. And he says, no, 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 no. First, go make me a cake. And if you do that, then you're never going to run out. There's always going to be enough flour. There's always going to be enough oil until the rain comes. And what he was doing, and this is what I said a few weeks ago, is he's asking her to line up her finances biblically. First things first. 
the principle of the first. So in the kingdom of God and, and with the vision of this house, first things first is this house has to be in order. Because there is going to be people that are going to come in that are hurting, that are lost, and all hands have to be on deck. And there has got to be an anointing that flows out from every arm and every finger in this house. If you're expecting every person to walk through this door and I effectively uh, talk to them, disciple them, raise them, send them out on my own, you have lost your mind. The Bible says in Ephesians, he gave some apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. So it's your job as a church. It's my job too. But to go out and to make disciples and to reach the lost. But first, there's some things in this house that we're trying to kind of line up. And one of them is our finances. Not just as a church, because the church tithes everything that comes in. But I'm trying to help line up every family in this church. Because when you're blessed, oh, humble ain't ready. Kingwood ain't ready. Atascacita ain't ready. When you're blessed, it's going to get crazy. Somebody receive that. Somebody's got to receive that this morning because that's what's going to happen, and I believe it. Amen? Come on, will you just lift your hands with me for a second? Father, I thank you, Lord. God, we receive this word. We receive this word, Lord, and I ask that it begin to manifest right now. I pray that it just begin to manifest in our hearts, in our lives, in everything that we do, in everything that we say, God. Lord, that it just begin to change who we are. God, we are lining everything up according to your word because we, we're not going to wait for people to just stroll into this church one by one, God. But we are going to be fishers of men, God. We are going to go and we're going to hunt and we're going to wait and we're going to bait and we're going to find people that you love so that we can bring them into the kingdom of God. God, so help us to align ourselves and be focused on the things that are important to you. In Jesus' name we pray. If you believe that, come on, say a big amen. Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for the Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to the Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online.